There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I don't want to be a leader, I don't want to let you down. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. And I want to start off by saying, all you need is love. The power of love. Love changes everything. Love Shack. Yes, love is the topic this time round, specifically Love Island. Now, before you switch off, I want to point out that even though this is an unscripted reality TV show, I'm going to argue that this particular neon might well be the one that covers the biggest topics I've touched on so far. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. So, let's get going into Love Island. But before we do, it's worth pointing out, of course, you can continue the conversation with us online. We're neonpodcast.com, neonpodcast on Twitter and Facebook. And we have just launched a Patreon page where you can get involved with us on some pretty exciting projects there. So if you want to spread and be part of the Neon Revolution, go to Patreon, link below. So I'm going to start way back, way, way back. In fact, we certainly can't be talking about history. Maybe you could argue this is a territory for natural history, because I'm going to talk about, in essence, what Love Island is about. It's about meeting. It's about finding a mate and finding a partner and perhaps later on having little children and things like that. So 
going way back to the beginnings of life on planet Earth, we have what's called asexual reproduction. That's where single-celled organisms, and later on we did have multicellular organisms that create clones of themselves. Basically, a cell will split and create, in theory, a perfect replica of itself. That is asexual reproduction. It's basically how your body works, and that is a very efficient way of creating the next generation of organisms. The problem with asexual reproduction is that because it's, in theory, a perfect clone, every now and then there might be errors, but if it's a perfect clone, what that means is it's got all your strengths, but it's also got all your weaknesses too. So if, for example, that colony of organisms was attacked by a specific virus, let's say, and it was vulnerable to that virus, the virus could wipe out all of it. Because you all have the same flaw, you are vulnerable all in the same way. So then we come to sexual reproduction, which is where there are invariably two creatures, two organisms, and they interact with each other, pass DNA over to each other, so the offspring is a blend of the parents. There is now variation, so if that virus turns up again, it might well destroy, let's say, half the population, but the other half of the population fundamentally has a resistance to it and is completely immune to the effects of that virus. Congratulations, you have just saved your species. So sexual reproduction is absolutely the best way to, to ensure the continuation of your species. And if you like, that is the essence of everything, whether we're talking about humans or crocodiles or sea anemones, there is just this inherent part of the species where it's like we would, we need a new generation. That's what we need to do. And indeed, there is a brilliant sci-fi movie, uh, Children of Men, um, which is set in sort of a dystopian London, where the conceit is very simple. For some reason, we're not giving birth anymore. And what does that do to a society? Because a society is set up fundamentally to ensure that there's other people coming down the road. All the arguments in politics and beyond is basically what's good for the future. But in City of Men, uh, then, uh, oh, sorry, uh, Children of Men, I should say, then you have the problem that there is no future. And why should I bother? And, and as everybody's slowly getting older, there are no young people to perhaps look after them or keep the services going. It's a really very simple idea that leads to a really clever movie. It's a great film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But we're not here to talk about that. Instead, once we get to the point of you having to try and find a mate, things get more complicated than just doing a simple clone of yourself. So, for example, the peacock. We all know that they look fabulous, but that's the male. If you look at the peahen, the female, they're rather drab. And indeed, an awful lot of the bird world have incredibly flowery, impressive-looking males who, basically, the bigger their crest or the more powerful their song or the better their nest-building skills are, these are the sorts of things that the females judge them on to say, okay, you're my mate. I will now invest my energy and DNA raising an egg and creating a brood of chicks, etc., etc., and therefore there's this competition suddenly, which, I'm going back to Love Island, in a way, it's it's a warped version, no doubt about it, but it's tapping into that thing. 
the dating game, it's called. Uh, but you, there is now, and has always been, this pressure to find that special someone. But let's go away from peacocks. Let's instead talk about the giant octopus, because I love this fact. It shows you that the animal kingdom hasn't in some ways got it any better than, than humans either. Because the lovely fact I, I love about giant octopuses, and, and I'm well aware, I'm going to keep my clean rating in this, so don't worry, nobody panic. Giant octopuses, or octopi, I suppose, can't tell the difference between male and female until they have a, a, a quick touch, a quick fiddle. Uh, so they basically come up to each other, tentacles go places, and then uh, presumably there's the occasional octopus embarrassment conversation. Oh, oh, you're a guy too. Uh, ter terribly sorry. Uh, move along, move along. Nothing to see here. <laughs> um, I mean, that happens. That does happen. They may not actually sound like that. That is the official neon impersonation of a giant octopus having a, having a conversation. Sorry about that. Um, so yeah, so all animals, once we get into sexual reproduction, have to try and attract a mate. Now, I am well aware that this is going out on the internet, so I am not going to go into, and I have read papers on anthropological and human biology topics about mating and why humans are sort of built the way they are and sort of certain theories about certain reasons we look at each other, the different sexes, etc. So look, if you want the science, if you want the dispassionate facts, uh, you know, because I don't want to get into the whole, you know, uh, you know, transgender arguments or, you know, why are you talking about this? My beliefs are in a different way. Okay, fine. If you want to read the biologist's point of view, it's out there. Stephen Jay Gould is a great place to start on this. Um, so, yes, please, I encourage you to perhaps do your own research in, into this stuff. But the point is, once we get to humans, we fundamentally know there are certain things we like or don't like in a potential partner. And that's kind of you're hardwired that way, it seems. You know, you, you kind of know what you want and, and what you're ultimately doing is assessing about the suitability of this partner. Now, human beings have corrupted this way before something like Love Island, where we've got all these people thrown together into, uh, into a sort of beachside resort. We've been tricking each other for millennia, literally millennia, because one of the first things that you would imagine, okay, nowadays, we use makeup or women use makeup to enhance themselves. We'll come on to men in a moment. But you might think that cosmetics are relatively recent affairs. Most people know about the kind of the, the white lead face paint that might have existed from kind of Tudor England on onwards. That's a thing. But did you know that in ancient Babylon, we're now talking you know, around about 2000 BC. So 4,000 years ago, give or take, they were crushing down semi-precious gems, glittery gems, turning them into a paste and adding them to their lips. Lipstick is thousands of years old. And also, when you have a look at some of these images of the ancient Babylonians and Assyrians, they have these incredibly lush, very elaborate hairdos and these huge bristling beards. And it seems that these were both wigs and strap-on beards. And they weren't the only ones. The ancient Egyptians, exactly the same thing. Everybody seems to have a luscious head of black 
hair. So that tells you that hair dye existed, wigs existed. Sometimes you've got shaved heads. That's usually the sign of either a priest or a slave. So, um, yes, yeah, so hair had a certain pedigree there. And indeed, the strap on beard was super important for the pharaoh, too. We know that Cleopatra VII, by the way, that's the famous Cleopatra, she actually had a strap-on beard because pharaohs basically had to be male. So on the occasions that you had the odd female pharaoh, they'd actually have strap-on beards so that they looked like a proper pharaoh. All of these things are to perhaps enhance status, desirability, change perceptions, etc. But then, you know, like I've said, let's let's do some stuff about men as well. Yes, when we come to something like the court of Louis the Fifteenth, you know, we're all well aware that there was that thick makeup and there were those uh, the huge powdered wigs and there was this all, all kinds of makeup was being used. And that was just the guys. OK, now, by then, makeup was being used quite often. To, it was literally caked on. It was incredibly thick layers and it was quite often to cover defects. Things like pockmarks, blemishes that have been created by the ravages of disease could be hidden. Women would sort of like coyly look out from underneath a, a fan, and this might be to protect bad teeth or bad breath. So this idea of covering up who you are with uh, makeup and, and certain types of clothing and wigs has been around for millennia and still exist to this day. The irony is, and again, I really don't want to get into the science of this, basically, if you're a young woman, a healthy young woman, you already look desirable to men. You don't need makeup. What tends to happen is as you get older, when you get wrinkles and you get things that are considered, considered, they aren't actually, but they are considered by some areas of society less attractive, then then you might want to feel the need to cover yourself with makeup. But what do we get? We get a whole bunch of 20-year-old girls slapping on the makeup, even though they don't actually need to do it. So you have all of this happening because fundamentally we want to try and find that partner and maybe eventually have those children. So let's talk very briefly about children, shall we? I'm not going to say I'm an expert on, on them, but I do own two of them. So we've certainly been through the ringer, and there is this wonderful theory about, generally in the animal kingdom, when things are past their time of reproductive potential, they die. Uh, female octopuses, or, or octopi, I've already mentioned the males, um, but they, um, they actually, uh, the, the females tend to the eggs, and they are so intently looking after their brood that when the when the little tiny baby octopi hatch, the female is so exhausted that they invariably die. So the, the, the reproduction is the ultimate moment of, of life and death, really, in that particular species. In a really grim way, most of you, if you're on this podcast, probably know this fact, the praying mantis. This is probably one of the gr grimmest facts in Mother Nature, that actually the males are eaten during the act of reproduction. 
during, not after, during. That's just rude, in my opinion. And indeed, the praying mantis, uh, the males actually have a secondary, smaller brain in the thorax because they need to keep the act of reproduction going while their head is being eaten by the female. Now, the reason for this is because, once again, the act of producing new offspring is incredibly onerous and takes up a huge amount of energy. So, standing in front of you is basically a huge bag of protein and nutrients and all the things that you need to make a praying mantis, because it's a male praying mantis, is in front of you, so why not use that and create the next generation? Fortunately, we don't go in that direction in the world of humans, but we, we've made some interesting choices as a species to create children. For starters, most mammals, most animals generally have a season. If you've watched something like Spring Watch, you know now's the time where animals generally give birth or lay eggs or hatch or whatever. Because the idea is they probably mated uh, in very early spring, end of winter, and then a, a brief gestation period, and then the, the offspring are coming out just as all the new plants and new animals are being born. So this is the time of an explosion of population of creatures, because now we're going into spring and summer. It's the time of plenty. There are leaves on the trees, etc. You don't want to be giving birth to all your young in the middle of winter. There's simply less food to eat. So animals generally have a season. So for, let's say, argument's sake, 11 months out of 12, eagles could not care less about mating, be they male or female. Or dogs couldn't really care less about mating uh, between uh, male and female. But humans do. Humans are weird in that regard. We have no season. This is why, for the record, we all have different birthdays. It's why horoscopes exist, because if we all sort of gave birth in in the springtime, then we'd all have the same horoscope. We'd all be, I don't know, Librans. I, I'm not an expert on, on, Zo on the Zodiac. Somebody can correct me on that. Whatever the one is for April, there we go. That that would all be that one. So that chat-up line wouldn't exist. Oh, you strike me as a Capricorn. Yeah, we're all Capricorns, mate. Move along. Um, and also, think of how much society would be different. We do constantly try and promote things in terms of how it might get you that special someone, or how much more attractive you'll look if you buy our thing, or we have a particularly attractive person promoting it to us. But if, for 11 months out of 12, we just couldn't care less about that special somebody. The, the whole family dynamic would be different. Bonds would be different. Society would be utterly different if you just change that one thing, that just April was reproduction time, and the rest of the year, we were all like monks. Pause for thought there. Maybe somebody wants to create that scientific, uh, scientific story, sci-fi story, something like that. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, though, uh, is once we get the children, fun, aren't they, is compare your average human child to your average calf, baby cow, okay? Baby cows pop out, and within that day, they can walk. Within the year, they are pretty close to the same size as mum and dad, and they seem to be the same mental acuity. I mean, we are talking about cows here, but a one-year-old cow is about as smart as, a, as an adult cow, and can absolutely do pretty much everything that an adult cow can do. Now, let's look at human children, shall we? It takes us a year to learn how to walk 
or talk. Both of those things are such drains on the on the child's brain that a child will not do both. You will either walk or talk first. So I guess the chatty ones are the little fat bundles of joy that are just sitting there on their fat bottoms, chatting away and not walking. And the active ones are roaming around the house, but are mute. <laughs> guess which one I was. And also, by the way, when we say they can talk at the year, it means a couple of words. Rubbish. I'll, I'll share with you my first words. I have this courtesy of my, my parents was all gone. Uh, because my mother, as a fat little one-year-old, I'd love a bicky, a cookie from time to time. And my mother would reach up to the high shelf and bring down the biscuit tin and perhaps give me a little bicky. And then my mother would look at me and go, all gone. As in, there are no more biscuits, all gone. What I did was clearly think that that was the name for a biscuit. And I would point to the, apparently the, the upper shelf and shout, all gone, all gone. As in, I want a biscuit. Uh, by the way, and uh, let's let's go for it. Let, let's prove that I have been neon for a long old time. My sister, who is uh, about three years younger than me, uh, I was uh, so precocious three year old running around. Uh, had this little black cape on, and um, uh, I would impress my sister by uh, singing over and over again the nineteen sixties theme tune to Batman. So I was singing na 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 Batman over and over again. It, it, bat, that was my favorite TV show when I was three years old. And so my sister's first words were Batman. I think that makes her one of the coolest people on planet Earth, but also it makes me pretty darn cool as well. Okay. So human beings, human children are an incredible drain on resources, your time, energy, sleep, just ask a parent if you don't believe me. Children are a nightmare. But but here's the thing. I want going back to the fact that, well, well, okay, if animals tend to die when they can't reproduce anymore, why do we have old people? Particularly, I'm sorry about this. I'm not being politically incorrect here. But once a woman's past the menopause, they can't have children anymore. So from a purely biological point of view, why do we have grandmothers? And the theory is, and I love this theory, that human children are such a drain on resources, you need more than two people to raise them. You actually need grandma and grandpa to help out a little bit. And certainly speaking, as a parent, there are times when I can offload the children onto a grandparent or two, and me and the wife kind of breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, it's never that long and we start worrying about the kids, well, particularly my wife does. But the point is, the idea is, if you go back to the caveman era, you needed a community to help raise these children. Because if you were raising those kids on your own, you wouldn't be able to do as much hunting and gathering, which means you're not bringing in as much food, which means everybody's now hungry. So you needed that community. You needed that generational experience to sort of help raise the young. Also, the older people could pass on more information to the young as well. So that is why we have grandparents. But what we've got in Love Island, and I think maybe now it's time to explain. I've, I've clearly shown you there's a lot of history behind this. I think I've proven that. So let's actually talk about, Jem, I've never seen it. I keep seeing it advertised. What is it? Well, don't worry, okay? Yeah, I will tell you everything you need to know to at least fake looking at Love Island or pretending you're watching it. Apparently, when somebody was pitching the brilliant 1920s gangster TV show Boardwalk Empire, 
they summarized it as it's the Sopranos in spats. So giving you the time frame. So here's the same pitch basically for Love Island. It's Big Brother in bikinis. Now, there are various sort of gaming elements to it, but really what we've got is a bunch of young, healthy adults being sent to a beach resort, and they basically keep being hooked up with each other to see if they're compatible. And just like with Big Brother, there's you could say there's an element of sort of psycholo- psychological worthiness to this. This could be considered an experiment. But let's be honest, it's a game show. Going back to the very first series of Big Brother for a moment, I absolutely love the fact that it was genuinely new and it was getting huge figures. And I remember the housemates sitting around the table having a sort of chat, just an idle chat, and one of them going, is anybody still watching this? And about four or five million people shouted, yes, yes, we are. This is strangely captivating. You had Nasty Nick in the first series. Do you remember him? And he had no idea that, you know, to him, he was just sort of playing a bit of a psychological game and he was sort of going along with it. But because he was being seen by millions of people to be so manipulative, that man had a bit of a problem after the, after it because he didn't realize kind of what an inadvertent sensation he'd created. And he was sort of like the cackling villain. Because you do, even though these are all unscripted, you still need a little bit of narrative trickery with all this stuff. You need some people to root for. But more shockingly, is when you look at the people in Love Island, you hear about this stuff behind the scenes, that if you look at X, well, particularly the guys, if you looked at them a year ago, they're a bit paunchy and they sort of weren't looking after themselves. But now they know they're going on TV. Now they know that they've got a camera staring at them all the time and they're going to be in a swim, you know, swimming trunks for an awful lot of the time, sort of sitting there catching a a tan. So almost all these guys kind of look identical. They've all been manscaping and sort of waxing and tanning and maybe getting uh, dental reconstruction and sort of teeth whitening and, you know, eyebrow plucking. And suddenly they sort of look almost false and plastic. For the record, I've already proved in the ancient times men did this. And there can be some arguments about, you know, metrosexuals, are they really men? You know, let's face it, when, when the paratroopers were dropped into Normandy during World War II in their essential kit, they didn't have moisturizer. Um, you know, and there's a little element of that about me as well. I, I, I'm sort of more that than, you know, a guy's got to look as good as possible. Um, but it is worth pointing out there is the word dandy. Now, the word dandy sort of crops up a, a few places. There's a, there's a comic called Dandy. There's Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh, there's a song even about it. What are dandies? Oh, uh, Adam and the Ants. Uh, I'm a dandy highwayman. The dandies were sort of very well-dressed, uh, a sort of group of sort of political thinkers. So they had certain politics linked to them, but they were very much known for being well-dressed and well-groomed. And this was all a sort of something from the late 1700s into the 1800s. So the dandy, men have or haven't always sort of couldn't care less about our appearances. You could even argue that sometimes people have cultivated the gruff appearance, the the you know, five o'clock shadow look was a very 80s look, seeing we're on neon. Let's talk about an absolute classic from, from the 80s there. So dandyism and just sort of men looking after themselves has been different to women, but they still want to attract women. Um, so this is happening right now on Love Island. 
But like Big Brother later on, Love Island, by the way, is the biggest viewing hit for ITV2, which you could say is damning with faint praise. But ITV2 has come up with some interesting TV shows. Love Island's one. Plebs is another really interesting comedy. It's kind of like the in-betweeners set in ancient Rome. Four series of that. I think it's now finished, but it's it's a good laugh. If you like the in-betweeners, you like the plebs, plebs, maybe I will do a neon on them at some point. But the thing is this, they have not got a bunch of good-looking, super intellectual, well-rounded individuals, because that doesn't make good TV. It's the same thing with Big Brother. There is the selection process. And by series seven or eight, it's like, really? Is this the best that we could come out with in Britain? The answer is no, of course not. The smart people, the sensible people, weren't the ones that they picked. They deliberately started doing psychological testing to see who were the ones who were likely to clash, because people sitting around talking about nice things doesn't make good TV. We want to see controversy. We want to see sexiness. We want to see arguing and shouting and threats. And that's what Big Brother turned into, but also that's what Love Island is, essentially. There's all this power playing going on. There's arguments about, oh, the reason why he hooked up with her is because she was about to leave at the, you know, behind the scenes, there might have been the producers giving the guy the nudge. You know, you're not entirely, you know, the, Love Island is under no obligation to make this the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Okay, even if you've got hours of footage, you don't have 24 hours of footage. You don't have all cameras on at all times and you're able to see everything. Things are still being selective in their editing. And there is, there's no reason why the production company couldn't go to one of the people on the side and say, you need to be talking to X. So I'm not saying it's all fixed or rigged or anything like that. But what you're seeing isn't because it can never be 100% of the truth. And fundamentally, they're trying to create a TV show is something to entertain people. And if it was boring, nobody would go and see. And let's face it, seeing young, attractive people sitting around in not a lot of clothing appeals to everybody. If you're gay, you're going to look at the guy sitting there in the trunks. If you're a heterosexual woman, you're going to see the guy sitting around the swimming trunks and so on and so forth. No matter what permutation, you're going to have it there. It's just, if you like your partner smart, you're not going to find them on Love Island, okay? Which brings me to the really dark side of what's going on here, because there is a nasty streak to humanity. And I said I'm going to pick on some really big topics here. And Love Island is definitely an echo of this. There is definitely mocking tones in reality TV. There, It's happened in Big Brother as well, where there's a certain person who says really dumb things and they just get mocked in the newspapers. And a lot of these shows happen over the summer, which tends to be slower news stories. So suddenly there's a sort of self-perpetuating and self-fulfilling news cycle where Love Island does something sensational, so it gets written about in the sun, which means that Love Island kind of knows what the sun, the stories that sun wants to know, and perhaps they'll perhaps edit things around to give them something else hot, you know. And so the, you know, you get these sort of cycle where everybody wins, uh, and you know, you keep getting a sort of ever increasing crescendo of hysteria and like laughing and mocking. You know, a lot of this stuff is virtually media bullying. It's like, look how stupid this person is. Ugh. And that brings me to something that really did happen in the 18th and 19th centuries when you had mental institutions, places literally like Bedlam, 
where people would pay to go in and look at the crazy people and point and laugh at these people with either learning difficulties or mental illnesses, perhaps standing there just sort of banging, rocking backwards and forwards or banging their heads against walls. There was no medication and really there was no desire. The really dangerous ones were basically put in cages. Or, 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 you know, the, the straight jacket was used to sort of restrain people. And that's not actually a thing that's used anymore, except if you're an escapologist or something like that. But straight jackets are not a nice thing. And of course, if you think about it, if, if somebody's sort of scary and violent and they're put in a straight jacket, there's no way that you can go to the bathroom in that. And so, yeah, you know, they were quite often covered in excrement and things like this. So people, normal human beings, maybe your great-great-grandfather and grandmother, there are examples of this where people, you know, they got married and then their honeymoon was a quick trip round Bedlam to just, uh, with my new partner, my new husband or wife, to point at the crazy people and, oh, didn't we have a good afternoon in the mental institution? Now we have to get on with our lives. That was the closest thing they got to a holiday. The history's grim, simple as that. But there is that echo. The other thing is, it wasn't until the 19th century in England and later in other countries, indeed, to this day, this happens in some countries, where executions were a big crowd-pleasing event. You know, it, it, it took Britain centuries to think, do you know what, if we're going to execute somebody for their crimes, maybe that's not entertainment. Maybe we should do this behind closed doors. But people would turn up. Children would be taken to the executions. When Charles I was executed, people would run out with their cloths to try and get some of their blood. And you'd actually have people, you know, wanting to get grisly mementos of a particularly good execution. So you've got all that going on, and it's a sign of how human beings like to see the dark side of things. Maybe there's that element with the executions that at least it's not me. Maybe if it's something like uh, Bedlam, it's a case of that's just weird. I've never seen that before. But human beings have a morbid curiosity, and that itch is definitely one of the th ways that it's being scratched in something like uh, the Love Island. And so I'm going to kind of bring all these things together into one last area. One thing that I haven't really talked about in Neon is the Ottoman Empire. I haven't really had much opportunity to do that. I, I, I think I briefly mentioned it in the Battlefield one. But actually, my book that's come out in 2018 is The Sultans, a 600-year history of the Ottoman Empire. So it's something that I've done plenty of research on, and it's a fascinating topic. And when you get to the harem of the Ottoman sultans uh, in the great palace of Topkapi in Istanbul, Constantinople, whatever you want to call it, that was something that a lot of Westerners misunderstand. Really what it was, was the private quarters of the sultan. And yet it was sold as a kind of pleasure palace, the ultimate love island, if you like. And undeniably, the sultan not only had wives, but he also had sometimes as many as 300 concubines. But here's the thing. Those women, those 300 women, some of those women would never have even met the sultan. There was a huge amount of competition, like Love Island, to try and catch the sultan's eye. And if you did catch the sultan's eye, you did everything to hang on to it because there were literally hundreds of other women trying to catch the eye of the sultan. And what most people don't understand is that the, the women in the harem, well, first of all, they were slave girls. Now, this is a weird twist of, of fate and logic here. Bear with me on this. According to Islam, no Muslim can be a, 
a slave. So because of that, what the Ottomans did is they they went round the, the Christian territories of the empire and got attractive young girls to go to the harem. They weren't all taken, you know, but we, every now and then uh, they did this with their army as well, the Janissaries. But when these women and men were brought into the Ottoman court, they were converted to Islam. So although they were slaves, they were now Muslim slaves, but because they're originally Christians, everybody was okay with that. Now, slavery, I think we can all agree is a bad thing. But the thing is, when we say slavery, we tend to mean something like galley slaves or slaves, black slaves in the fields of, of America. Now, those were brutal, horrible, short lives. Here's an interesting moral conundrum for you. If you are a 14-year-old, let's say, Serbian girl, who's just kind of coming in, coming of age, you have two choices. You could remain, let's say, a free Serbian girl, in which case you might marry a, a local peasant man and have lots of babies and basically live in the house and possibly die of some horrible disease or malnourishment. Um, or maybe you'd have a good life, or maybe you'd have an abusive husband. Not a great choice, okay? Or you become a slave girl and you're taken to the harem where you have now lost your freedom. But you are living in in a palace with Ottoman sultan levels of luxury. You can't go out. You can't choose who your partner is. It's going to be the sultan. But you've got the finest silks. You are fed every single day. You are taught things like uh, how to write poetry and to, to, to create musical, uh, to, to use musical instruments and things like that. And if you are lucky enough to meet the sultan, and if you're lucky enough to uh, become one of his chosen ones, and you have a child, that child could be strangled, could be killed when somebody else becomes sultan. That's a thing that happened. Or your child could become the next sultan, the next Ottoman sultan. See, that's the weird thing. Almost all of the Ottoman sultans were children of slave girls. So which one's the better life? I don't have an answer for you. I mean, you know, if you want to come back to me on something like Neon Podcast on Twitter and say, I think this, I think that, I'd love to hear your opinions on something like that. But you can see that something like the Love Island, the desperate scramble to get attention, that's a thing which got to the point of like life and death situations in something like the harem. Now, the harem was kept completely isolated from any other men. And this is why you've got the bloodline. The weird thing about the Ottoman Empire, unlike, let's say, the Roman Empire, or the British Empire is that there was only ever one dynasty. All of the Ottoman sultans were direct male descendants of Osman, also called Ottoman, who was the guy who founded it all. So to make sure that that was a thing, the, the men who guarded the, the harem were black slaves. Uh, these guys were eunuchs as well. So you know, they, if they didn't have their bits, they couldn't reproduce. And if for some reason they managed to, you know, somehow avoid being you know, turned into a eunuch, you could tell if a, if a black man has a child with a white woman. So it was a sort of double test, a double proof to make sure that genuinely these women only bred with the sultan. So we know that they're pure blood. Now, interestingly, once your son came of age and if this old sultan's still around, you wouldn't stay in the harem your entire life. You would actually go with your son and go off to um, 
go off to some region and actually help him run that region, which was kind of a training ground potentially for the next sultan. So you weren't locked up in a small room the entire time. And actually, obviously, the sultan had lots of daughters and they were sort of sometimes sometimes married off to, um, to sort of like nobles. Sometimes they just sort of stayed in the harem. So it was a very female orientated world. Um, and what's interesting is that doesn't mean it was peace and love. You know, the, these sometimes these women are fight each other. There were huge power plays between these women. And there was a, a, an era, um, uh, basically, in the Ottoman Empire, the Sultanate of Women, where basically it was pretty obvious that the women were pulling the strings behind the backs. And they actually had the mother of the Sultan sometimes was more powerful than the Sultan himself, particularly with something like Ibrahim I, who was also known as Ibrahim the Mad. You kind of need mum to sort of help things run. So there you go. With something as silly and as poppy as Love Island, you get all the way into, you know, what does it mean to have a human relationship, a physical relationship? We've touched on the ancient Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Ottoman Empire, dandies. We've covered a huge amount of territory here. So I hope you've enjoyed this neon take on Love Island. But what I wanted to say is please, please do keep spreading the word. We are neonpodcast.com, Neon Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Jem Daduchu, and you can find me as Jem Daduchu on Twitter. But also, we are now live on Patreon. Please help spread the neon revolution by supporting us financially. And also, please, if you can't do that, the very least you can do is give us a good review on whatever app you're listening to this. Thank you very much. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. 
flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.